My favorite part of that video is probably the very last scene. Do you see how much of the bed she has? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, what's funny is most men in this room probably think that was like a compilation of a week in a woman's life. No, really, that's just one day in a mom's life, right? I mean, good grief. We can go through and do so much in one day. I don't know how it is we get up the next day to move on and go forward. And it was during a time like one of those days when it was Christmas break and I had taken all the stuff, you know, the fluff and the froof and all of it and I'd boxed it up and it was time to put it in the pit. Now you may not call yours the pit, it may be the abyss, the black hole, or you may actually call it the utility room. But in my world, it is the pit. And I was taking stuff down and I was getting ready to open the door and I was like secretly praying, Lord, please have let the cleanup fairy come and magically cleaned the pit because it is a mess. Please let this be when I open this door. And of course I open the door and it is a disaster because all of the stuff from Christmas and all just the yanking and the pulling and the hiding and you know all of that stuff, it was just a disaster zone. And I was kind of mad. I was disgusted with the cleanup fairy. She had really just kind of ticked me off. I was like, really? Come on. You couldn't get in here over Christmas and clean this place up. What's your problem? And you know, it's kind of like the coffee fairy and the laundry fairy and the dinner fairy and the soccer mom fairy. Have you noticed who that is? It's me. I'm the cleanup fairy. And I was mad at myself because I had let this happen. I had let this grow into this monster in this pit. 
And I decided once I got my life back, meaning when everybody went back to school or went back to work, that I would go in and I would tackle the pit. So I was down there, and as I opened the door, ready to, to take it on, you know? And I know myself, having lived with myself for 40 years, I know myself well enough to know that if I don't start at the back and work my way to the front, it will never get done. Because if I start at the front and work my way to the back, I'll get distracted. I'll get bored, it'll become overwhelming, there'll be something else that catches my eye or I want to do, or you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. It's just too much. So I started in the back, and I'm working my way to the front. I'm about two-thirds of the way done. And I'm like, yes, I'm almost there. And a hazard happens. I see something, and this happens maybe to you when you're cleaning out the garage or, you know, the laundry room or your junk drawer, which nobody really has a junk drawer, right? But I'm cleaning, and I see this, this article, this hazard, and it stops me in my tracks. And it's what can be a time zapper, because you go back in time, you know, and you relive moments and memories. And it's like when you clean out your kid's closet and you find those cute little precious shoes. And you're like, oh, they were so sweet once. Why can't they be sweet again? Oh. You know, and it just zaps your time. And you're 30 minutes later, you're like, whoa, what just happened? So this is what I found that day. Yes. It's a VHS tape of The Wizard of Oz. Yes, beautiful for those of you that don't know what VHS is. Let me creak it open. This is a VHS tape. This is pre-DVDs, pre-DVR. I am so thankful for the invention of DVR. Because remember how you'd stick in the blank tape and you would pray that there was enough time left and that you could get your show in all the way and... In my house, many a time, we ended up with, I don't know how this happened, but a lot of Lefemnikita. And it was like, how did that happen? And it was just some very friendly discussions about that. But now you have DVR, and it's great. And I was thinking about how this movie would come on once a year. Do you remember that growing up? And you'd watch it, and you waited for it. And it was like, yes! And you'd get your big bowl of popcorn. And you would just have that moment where you got to take a break and watch a great movie, and I'm standing there reminiscing, and I'm thinking, and not really wanting to clean the other third of my pit, and I started thinking about the four characters. Remember the four characters, the four main characters? It's Dorothy, the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and, and the Lion, and you, I was thinking, what were they wanting? What were they in need of? And I start traveling and going down this, and it hits me. Mother's Day. Women, we all go through these same situations that these characters go through in our lives. And I wanna to talk to you about that today. So instead of dressing like the scarecrow, instead of dressing like the tin man or the lion or even Dorothy in her cute little gingham dress, I decided to go with the shoes. Because every girl can use a cute pair of red shoes, right? So that's what I went with with my wardrobe. So everything is gathered around the red shoes because every girl needs some cute red shoes. So let's talk today about the scarecrow. Now, the scarecrow was in need of wisdom. He needed knowledge beyond himself. So when I was thinking of the word and who would fit best in to relate the story to, I immediately thought of Solomon, the wisest man who lived. So we're going to take his story, a little bit of his story, and read it today. So if you turn with me in your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 3. 
Now, if you don't have your Bible, the words will be on the screen for you. Or if you have your smartphone, your tablet, your iPad, whatever little electronic device you use, um, I will be reading from God's Word translation today. So we're in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. He said, what can I give you? Skip down to verse 9. Give me a heart that listens so that I can judge your people and tell the difference between good and evil. After all, who can judge this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for this. Verse 12. So I'm going to do what you've asked. I'm giving you a wise and understanding heart so there will, be no, there will never be anyone like you. Now skip down to verse 16. A short time later, two prostitutes came to the king and stood in front of him. One woman said to him, Sir, this woman and I live in the same house. I gave birth to a son while she was with me in the house. Two days later, this woman also gave birth to a son. We were alone. No one else was with us. Just the two of us were in this house. That night, this woman's son died because she rolled over on top of him. So, I, so she got up during the night and took my son, who was beside me while I was asleep. She held him in her arms and then she laid her dead son in my arms. When I got up in the morning to nurse my son, he was dead. I took a good look at him and realized that he wasn't my son at all. The other woman said, no, my son is alive, your son is dead. The first woman kept on saying, no, your son is dead, my son is alive. So they argued in front of the king. The king said, this one keeps saying, my son is alive, your son is dead, and that one keeps saying, no, your son is dead, my son is alive. So the king told his servants to bring him a sword. When they brought it, he said, cut the living child in two, give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman, whose son was still alive, was deeply moved by her love for the child. She said to the king, please, sir, give the living child to her. Please don't kill him. But the other woman said, he won't be mine or yours, cut him in two. The king replied, give the living child to the first woman. Don't kill him. She is his mother. All Israel heard about the decision the king made. They respected the king very highly because they saw he possessed wisdom for, from God to do what was right. Now, you and I both know that only a man that had wisdom from God would jump in the middle of this frying pan of two mamas and a baby. No man in his right mind is going to try and tackle that. But he had this God-given wisdom, this God-given favor to be able to judge and to rule his people, God's people. And you see, you may be going, I wish I had that. I sure could use that in my life. Wisdom beyond myself, knowledge that is greater than anything I could think of. Well, you see, in Psalm verse 11, I mean, in chapter 10, verse 11, it says that fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And that word fear could be used as awe or wonder or the awesomeness of God. When you understand that the creator of the universe is the same creator that made and created you in your mother's womb, and he knows you, and he understands you, and he wants to have relationship with you. When you get that, that awesomeness of him, then you understand the wisdom and the knowledge of him and how he wants to give that to you. He wants to impart that on you. You see, when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and to be your Lord and your Savior, and you have this relationship with him, this daily conversation with him, you are given the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit is knowledge and wisdom in your life. It's like getting a gift, a beautifully wrapped gift with a big bow on top, and you never open it. You never know what's inside. That's like using the Holy Spirit. If you don't ever open that present and use that, you're missing out. You're living your life in blindness and darkness when he could be lighting your path and directing your way and giving you the knowledge that you need to live. It may be your job. It may be a child. It may be a friend, a family member, a situation in your life where you need wisdom beyond yourself. You need guidance. You need to know what to do, what path to take, what journey in the fork of the road to go down. And he's there. He wants to help you. He wants to give you that wisdom. He wants to light your path and be with you. If you ask him. See, Solomon had to ask for this wisdom. So do you. You have to ask, and he will give it to you. Have him be a part of your life. Live this life with him. Next, we come to the rusty, crusty tin man. He is in need of a heart, a heart of compassion. There's days when I think of, of how, as a mom, you need compassion in your life for your children, for your family, for your friends. We live in a world today where the need is bombarded at us 24-7. Social media, news net networks are on 24-7. We are constantly seeing the need of humanity. It's there instantly. Twitter feed. It's instantly on Facebook. People are in need. And it can become somewhat overwhelming. It can become too much of a burden. And we think, what little thing can I do? What could I possibly be able to do to change this? to make this better? What impact could I have? And we tend to kind of sit back and say, if I can't change it or fix it, then I'm not going to do anything at all. And Jesus speaks to this with our, with our next story in Luke 10, 25. If you'd like to turn there with me, we're going to read the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, the Good Samaritan is not given a name from Jesus. And I believe the reason is, is because we should insert our name in there that John should be the Good Samaritan, Susan should be the Good Samaritan, that we should be able to insert our name. If we're a Christ follower, that we should be the Good Samaritan. So read with me in Luke 10, verse 25. Then an expert in Moses' teaching stood up to test Jesus. He asked, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered him, What is written in Moses' teaching? What do you read there? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus told him, you're right, do this, and life will be yours. But the man wanted to justify his question, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man went from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, robbers stripped him, beat him, and left him for dead. By chance, a priest was traveling along that road. When he saw the man, he went around him and continued on his way. Then a Levite came to that same place. When he saw the man, he too went around him and continued on his way. But a Samaritan, as he was traveling, traveling along, came across the man. When the Samaritan saw him, he felt sorry for the man. He went to him and cleaned and bandaged his wounds. Then he put him on his own animal, 
brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day, the Samaritan took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. He told the innkeeper, take care of him. If you spend more than that, I'll pay you on my return trip. Of these three men, who do you think was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by robbers? The expert said, the one who was kind enough to help him. You see, Jesus tells us in Mark 14, 7, that we don't have to fix this world. There's always going to be people in need. He says, the poor you will have with you always. It's not our job to fix the world. It's our job to love the world, to be Jesus's hands and his feet. He commands us. You cannot just sit back, but you have to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You have to go out. You have to be compassion. You have to be Jesus. You see, that's why I love missions so much. I love going on missions trips. I love planning them. I love taking women and going. The Haiti team is, is meeting and we're planning it all out and we're excited and I'm, I just can hardly wait for July to come. But you see, you don't have to go to Haiti. You don't have to go to India, Africa, or Latin America. You simply can just open your front door and walk out and there's a mission field right in front of you. Your neighbor, the people across the street, the kids you see at the bus stop every day on your way to work that doesn't have the right clothing or the adequate outerwear, the the people that you encounter, the same clerk at Starbucks, and you wonder, is this the only person that works at Starbucks? It may be that God is encountering you with people, bringing people along your way, along your path for you to have an impact on, for you to reach out to and develop relationship with, investing and inviting. What are you doing? What difference are you making? And you say, I don't know where to start. Yeah, I can open my door, but I, I, that's my neighbors. I'm not going to go and say, hey, how can I help you today? You know, I just, I don't feel comfortable with that. Well, Pastor Kevin Miller sets you up to win every month. He does a thing called Second Saturdays. I know if you email him, you call him, he will tell you what he's got planned. They are typically very family-friendly events that you can go to, and they are able to go and touch and reach the greater Milwaukee area. You can be Jesus. You can be that compassion. You can have that heart for others and to do. Next, I want to talk about the cowardly lion and his desperate need for courage. You see, some of us, we wake up in the morning and we're, rawr, you know, you're just ready to go and you can take on hell with a water gun and you live out your life and it's just, I cannot be defeated today. Greater is he that is in me that is in the world and you just, are, you just take on life. But then there's days we wake up and we're like, and you don't want to go anywhere, and you don't want to get out of bed, and, and you're like hiding in your cubicle at your office, and you're like, this world is just too much, and I just, I just don't have it to live out today. I want to tell you that you need that little bit of God-given courage in your life. There's just times when we come to places in our, in our walk where you're given the choice of, am I going to live for God? Am I going to do God's way, or am I going to do the world's way? Which path am I going to take? And when I think of God-given courage in an everyday life encounter, I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I think of these three young men who were living out their Jewish life in Judah. 
And King Nebuchadnezzar comes in, the Babylonian Empire come in, and they take captive. And they take the young men back, and they teach them, and they're starting to train them how to work in King Nebuchadnezzar's government and in his palace. And these three young men, along with Daniel, decide that they are not going to let the things of this world change their relationship with God, that they're not going to be in this world. They're not going to become a part of it, but they're going to live their life pleasing to God. They're they're not going to eat the things that are displeasing to God. They're not going to drink the things displeasing to God, and they're not going to worship any other God but the one true God, Yahweh. Now, this causes some, a little bit of a rift in the beginning of Daniel. But they are given God-given favor to be able to stand up. And they're noticed. And, they're, and the king sees how great these young men are. And how healthy and bright and strong. And he elevates them. And you know, when, when God elevates you and you have that God-given favor, there can be times when peers or coworkers or friends notice, and they become jealous of that, and they want that, and they decide they want to take you down. They want to find out when this Christian can slip and make a mistake. She can't always be that good Christian mom. There's got to be a time when she falls or she falters, and they watch, and that's what's happening with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're being watched by their co-workers, and King Nebuchadnezzar decides to build a 90-foot golden statue in honor of one of his gods. And he tells the people, the Babylonian people, that he wants them, when they hear the music, to stop what they're doing and to bow down and worship this golden image. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decide they will not do that because commandment number one from the Lord is, you shall have no other gods So they decide that they are not going to bow down and worship. And their peers, their co-workers, pounce on it. They see it, and they run to the king, and they they rat him out. They rat him out. They tattle on him, right? So let's pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3, and let's read from verse 13. Then in a fit of rage and anger, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Immediately they were brought to the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't honor my gods or worship the gold statue that I set up? When you hear the sound of the music, will you bow down and worship the gold statue I made? If you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. What God can save you from my power then? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king. We don't need to answer your last question. If our God, whom we honor, can save us from a blazing furnace and from your power, he will, your majesty. But if he doesn't, you should know, your majesty, we will never honor your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with anger toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face turned red. He ordered that the furnace should be heated seven times hotter than normal. He told some soldiers from his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so that they could be thrown into the blazing furnace. Then the three men were thrown into the furnace. They were wearing their clothes, hats, and other clothing. 
The king's order was so urgent and the furnace was so extremely hot that the men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were killed by the flames from the fire. So these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the blazing furnace. They were still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was startled. He sprang to his feet. He asked his advisors, didn't we throw three men into this fire? It's true, your majesty. The king replied, but look, I see four men. They're untied, walking in the middle of the fire and unharmed. The fourth one looks like the sons of God. Then Then Nebuchadnezzar went to the door of the blazing furnace and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. The king's men gathered around the three men. They saw that the fire had not harmed their body, bodies. The hair on their head was not singed. Their clothes weren't burned, and they didn't smell a smoke. Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and saved his servants who trusted him. They disobeyed the king and risked their lives so that they would not have to honor or worship any god except their own god. So I order that people from every province, nation, or language who say anything slanderous about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb. Their houses will be turned into piles of rubble, and no other God can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to higher positions in the Babylonian province. You may be in need of some God-given courage today, courage beyond yourself. And I want to tell you, he has not left you alone. He is with you. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you. He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. Just as he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, though the furnace was heated seven times hotter than normal, he did not leave them alone. Those young men chose to honor God, chose to do what was right. You may be in a situation where you have to decide and you don't know which way to go. And I'm telling you today, honor him, love him. Do not give into this world, but give into what you know God is calling you to do. What he has planned for your life. He will not leave you alone. You will not be forsaken. He is dancing with you in the fire. And when you come out of that situation, the people that wanted to bring you down will be able to look upon you and know that God was with you. Your testimony will be strong and they'll be vibrant and they'll want to know what happened. Who is this God that you serve? And you will be able to tell your story and bring them with you. See, stand tall in him. Do not become discouraged. He will not leave you and he will not forsake you today. No matter how hot the furnace or the situation becomes, he's with you today. Now, the last person I wanna talk about today is Dorothy. And Dorothy was on a mission. She was on a journey. Now, she could have very easily have stayed in her little clique and her little Christian group She could have stayed in her Bible study and in her life group and never stepped out and noticed the people along the path that she was on. This could so easily be us, couldn't it? We can become so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. I want to challenge you today. Pay attention to those around you. Notice them. Bring other people with you. 
do not become so heavenly minded that you don't notice those in need. You see, I believe that each one of us can be somewhat like each one of these characters. There's days when, when we need wisdom. There's days when we need a heart of compassion. There's times when we just lack the courage it takes to live this life out. And there's days just like Dorothy when we just want to click our heels and we want to go home. But I'm telling you today, if you have breath in your lungs, in your abled body, he has a plan for you. He has a call on your life. He has given you a purpose. Jeremiah 29, 11. He has called you and he knows you. And he wants to use you today to touch other people. Let me pray for you today. Lord, I just pray, bless these women today. Grant them favor. May they feel your love and your grace this week. Be with them, I pray. Give them that godly wisdom. Give them the heart of compassion. Give them the courage they need, Lord Father God. I thank you for each one of them. In your name I pray, amen.